How do we control money? Highlighters. Every Sunday, we go over all our statements and we highlight the hotspots. And that's how we came up with intelligent text alerts that help watch over your money. Our customers give us the best ideas. Huntington, welcome. Message and data rates may apply. Hey, Josh, how you doing? Not doing too bad, Jason. Living and thriving. How about yourself? Not too bad, man. Just doing this thing that we usually do every every week. How's your week been going? Well, not too bad. Just a bunch of work and uh, called in sick on Thursday, as you know. So, as you know, this past week, well, within the past week, we had a, had a few tragedies in, in the U.S. And uh, first of all, I want to send my regards to those families out there that are uh, dealing with with the loss and that were affected within those tragedies. But I feel like we need to talk a little bit about the tragedies and tragedies and what that means for us as a country going forward. I agree. So what tragedies would you be referring to? Would you be referring to uh, El Paso and Dayton? Absolutely. Well, and uh, California as well with the uh, the shooting at the garlic, the garlic festival that occurred yeah. as well. Was that a, that was last week, wasn't it? That was last week. And and then earlier this week, we actually had a, a stabbing in California that killed four and injured two more. And I feel like we need to, well, not that we need to, but I feel like we should talk about this. I think it's a very big issue that, that kind of needs, you know, some discussion. Obviously, this is a very hot topic, so I agree with you, Jason. We do need to speak about this. So, the question is, where do we begin? Well, at the end of the day, I mean, we could begin anywhere, really. Uh, we'll We'll go to what's kind of... We'll go to the carnage that's left that that's been left behind. We'll start there. Is I see a lot of trending. I, I spend a lot of time on social media, and I, I tell people it's not a good idea. But unfortunately, I'm one of them. But a lot of people are blaming the president of the United States and holding him responsible for the actions that were procured by these people. What 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 do you think about that? Yeah, I, I have heard. Uh, I've actually read a lot of comments about. How the president's rhetoric is responsible for the hatred of these uh, perpetrators to go out there and gun down people. And in my honest opinion, I I disagree. I don't think a president can be responsible for that unless they are blatantly telling people to go out and gun people down. I don't, I don't think you can really jump through all the mental... <clears throat> gymnastics to say that because Trump is so um, set on border security and illegal immigrants make it into a lot of his speeches, you know, uh, for his topic, that in this way that this would make somebody want to go out and gun down Latinos, you know, it's just doesn't make sense to me. Well, first let's talk about a couple of the demographics of the El Paso shooter in itself. And it was reported that the El Paso shooter was from the Dallas area. So, I don't know about you, but I don't think I would drive all that way just to do something like that. I feel like it like it could be that if I was doing something like to that extreme to make a statement, it could be done anywhere. You know, whether it be in my hometown or, or you know, the next town over. Like, why would you drive all the way from Dallas to El Paso just to make a statement? Because, I mean, you grew up in the what you know in the southwest i grew up in the southwest and it's highly it's a highly hispanic populated area right and so why would why would somebody go through all the trouble to drive all the way down there risk getting pulled over carrying a weapon and just just to carry out his his manifesto or whatever you want to call it that is a good point you know um as the reports say, that he drove nine hours from the Dallas metro to uh, El Paso. The reasoning that they're giving us is because this supposedly was a Walmart where a lot of known immigrants from Mexico and other southern countries shop at. But you bring up the good point, you know. From the Dallas area, there's plenty of Hispanic neighborhoods and spots that he could have hit if he was dead set on um, gunning down Latinos. Obviously, I don't want anybody gunned down anywhere, but it just, the whole story seems a little bit fishy. And as we know from past events, uh, the media has been known to really take ideas and run with it. For example, Columbine. They they created this narrative that it was about bullying and about how these perpetrators back in uh, 1999 were bullied. And 
many people who've investigated the story have said that, no, that was not the case. That was just something that some kids went with, and the media took it and ran with it. But there was actually a lot more to it than just, oh, these guys were picked on, because these particular two guys were not picked on. So again, a lot of this, a lot of these uh, things that the media tells me about this shooter in Dallas, or shooter in uh, El Paso, I just, I don't know what to believe at this point. Well, let's let's go back to everybody deciding to blame President Trump for setting these uh, ideological thoughts into people's heads. And to be honest with you, at the end of the day, if somebody tells me that it's okay to go kill somebody, it doesn't mean I'm going to go out and kill somebody because I agree with that person or because this person tells me it's okay. You can do it. It's not going to hurt anybody. You're not going to, you're not going to feel bad about it just because somebody tries to encourage somebody and not saying the president was trying to encourage somebody to go out there and kill people but just because he says or his manifesto quote unquote says that he he was a trump supporter and he idolized the invasion that trump referred to as we need to kill invaders things of that nature that doesn't necessarily mean that trump is behind the people that that did this i mean i mean let's go back to uh sandy hook or pulse nightclub Nobody blamed Obama. In fact, I don't think that they that that they had any any real reason other than what what he believed in at that point. And Obama didn't get blamed for that. I mean, every not everybody, but a good portion of people have some some people have super radical beliefs, and they just it, it comes it's it happens by nature. We don't choose to have radical beliefs, but there's things that we feel very strong on, and whether we choose to act on them is on us it's not on anybody else that's not that's not their fault that you took something that you believed in and decided to make it real i agree with that wholeheartedly and uh, that that's another good point um bringing up the obama administration of course uh, no sane person at the time blamed him for sandy hook or the pulse nightclub or any shooting that happened during his eight years as president and nor should they because none of it's his fault what people criticized him on during his administration was they feel like cops were being gunned down because he was um, speaking hate against them. And I would have to disagree. I don't think he was speaking hate. He just maybe wasn't showing as much support as he could have. But at the end of the day, the Dallas shooter back in 2016 who shot down those five cops, that's all on him. He took his beliefs to the next level. And that is not Obama's fault. That is nobody's fault. That's not George Bush's fault. And it's definitely not Trump's fault that this El Paso shooter drove nine hours, fully prepared, and went in and gunned down shoppers. And I can't again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stress this throughout this entire this episode. Uh, I can't imagine what the families are going through. And we're not trying to be insensitive by any means. We're we're just trying to analyze and assess the situation from an outside perspective, as gun supporters and gun owners as just trying to figure out why somebody would do it. But what really surprised me about the whole El Paso shooting was how quickly the cops obtained his manifest and how the first thing that came out and one of the one of the biggest topics that everybody focused on was he was a Trump supporter. It seemed a little bit too convenient, didn't it? It seemed extremely convenient. I mean, everybody wants to label Trump supporters as racist bigots and Honestly, just because you believe in somebody doesn't make you racist or a bigot. Maybe you believe in, in some of their ideals. Maybe you believe in them as a person, you know. Do I agree that the President of the United States says the smartest things? No. In fact, I think he should not be on social media, and I feel like he probably needs somebody to review his statements before he says them. But that's here nor there. And when we and going to Ohio as well, it, it, was, it just seemed convenient that all three shooters happened to be white Trump supporters, which made no sense to me at all because I feel like when Sandy Hook happened and Pulse Nightclub, it was more of an Islam, they were going for an Islamic, like, uh, demographic. You know, he he had Islamic beliefs, this and that, and now we're changing it to white Trump supporters. Are we really that naive that we would believe our, our, our media is telling us the truth? Actually, I'll, I'll have to correct you there. The uh, the Ohio shooter in Dayton, he actually, um, on his social media, they found that he had support for Elizabeth Warren and Antifa. And uh, 
So he was actually more on the left wing of the spectrum. Okay. But, but again, it's the fact that one in less than 24 hours, you had an ex- somebody on the extreme right, supposedly, shoot up uh, a Walmart. And then you had somebody who supposedly is on the extreme left side of the spectrum shoot up um, a, a nightclub, I guess is what it was in Dayton, wasn't it? It was a, like a popular night spot. I don't know if it was a club in Yeah, uh, and obviously had a lot of uh, blacks who attended, and which is who they say he was going for, and apparently shot his sister too. But it's just, it's all rather very convenient, and the fact that the media loves to fuel the fire, it, it's almost like there's a force in this country that's trying to divide big time, and well, they use these tragedies to do so. Well, let me start, well, let me, let me touch on this for a minute. It the Dayton, Ohio shooter shot his sister before shooting anybody else. That right there should have given you absolutely every note that you needed to look at this guy and understand that he wasn't necessarily, he had no remorse for anything. I'm telling you, there's no way I could gun down one of my family members. Absolutely none. And it just Again, it just goes to show that this is... This is obviously something that nobody knows why these people are snapping. There's only theories out there. And everybody, for the most part, they're looking for something to blame. Something in our control that we can control that would put a cap on on all these mass shootings. Because no doubt, every single one of them is a tragedy. And we're scared. As a society, maybe you and me aren't scared sitting here right now, but... People in the areas that these happened and people who have been affected, they are scared and they're looking for an answer and they're looking to our leaders to to uh, make policies or do whatever to stop this. So a lot of people are pushing for bigger regulation and more regulation and more legislation to help control gun sales in the United States. Do you really feel like that's going to fix the problem? Me personally, I don't think it's going to fix the problem. It will definitely change things, but I don't think in the way that they're intending. I don't think... I, I, I have to agree with you on that. I can't... I don't think that limiting or changing any kind of legislation at this point in time is going to fix the problem. Because I know we talked earlier this week, we had talked about the fact that when somebody's determined to hurt people, whether it be in a mass form or whether it be individually... It doesn't matter what kind of weapon they can get their hands on. If they're determined to do it, they're going to do it. And whether and if it's not guns, it's going to be knives. If it's not knives, it could be a bow and arrow, a crossbow. It could be a homemade bomb. We don't know. It I doesn't mean, have to be anything. It can be your hands. It could be a car. It can be a car. It, yeah, exactly. It can be a plane. People don't... And it people... When, whenever this happens, whenever this kind of a tragedy happens, which... You know, the 24 that occurred during Obama's term, I mean, that's a lot of lost life that could have been prevented. And we'll get into that a little bit later, especially going looking at the El Paso shooting. But one of the things that, that stands out more than anything is the fact that so many people are gun-shy and they're scared. Anytime that they see a gun, they don't want to touch it. They don't want to do anything with it. That's not the right attitude to have. You need to be able to see a gun. And know how to respond to a gun. I'm not talking a gun that's on somebody's hip. I, when, when somebody is is obviously, you're not going to walk around in public with an AR-15. You're just not. Or an AK-47. You're not going to, like, common sense, guys. I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing to think that nobody thought about this, you know, before these events occurred. I, I mean, you wouldn't carry your AR-15 around in public, would you? Absolutely not. I don't know. I guess I, I would have to ask, you know, like, we'll start with you. Um, how were you introduced to guns? And so at what age? So I was my 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 parents have always had guns ever since I was really young. I couldn't I couldn't really put an age on it because they were always just kind of around. My dad never locked his guns up. He sat down and he talked to us when we were old enough to understand. You know, when we were playing cops in the backyard and we had toy guns. You know, he sat down and he talked to us and he and he kind of explained to us how guns work and what they do. And he made it and he stressed it throughout our entire life. And especially, I'll never forget this, I'd be playing Call of Duty or I'd be playing Halo, whatever, and he'd always look at me and be like, hey, in real life, you only die one time, and that's it. And so, I guess it was always ingrained to me that guns aren't toys. Guns are a tool. I look at them as a tool, and, you know, because you use them to hunt, you use them to defend yourself. They're a tool. You know, yes, they're a weapon, whatever, but to me, they're a tool. And I guess that's how I was raised to look at them. I mean, what about you? Well, and uh, I was introduced to guns, um, mostly on the gun range, 
I would say at the age of seven, my dad was took me out and <clears throat> actually this would be in the country and I shot my first uh, 22 rifle and uh, that was my first memory of shooting a gun. And yeah, I was always taught, my dad always stressed, never point a gun at a person whether it is loaded or unloaded. You never point a gun mm-hmm. at a human being unless you intend to kill. And anything worth shooting once is worth shooting twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you're right. Now, you you grew up in kind of a, a rural Arizona, right? Yes. And see, I think that's definitely a key difference between you and somebody who grew up maybe in like Los Angeles or New York City. Mm-hmm. Because people out there don't shoot recreationally. You know, they might go to the range and shoot, but when you're living out in kind of, uh, you got open country in the area, I mean, you go out and shoot pop cans for fun, or you you know, you can go mm-hmm. shoot coyotes or whatever you want. <clears throat> so, of course, you grew up with the mentality of a gun is a tool. Yeah. As opposed in the city, usually if anybody has a gun in the city, they are using it for defense, unless mm-hmm. they are a criminal. They're using it with the possibility that they will kill a human being with it if they ever have to. God forbid, but if you ever have to. And that was kind of how I was raised. It was kind of interesting. I was reading a, uh, an article on Facebook today put out by 88 Tactical. If if any of you listeners have ever been to the Omaha area know what 88 Tactical is, it's a really nice gun range. Uh, sits off of uh, I-80. Um, but anyways, they were advertising um, a free active shooter course for students and parents. And they also sell... Uh, bulletproof backpack inserts for kids as well, which I didn't know they made, which I thought was kind of cool. No idea. Um, which I wish that there was more of that kind of proactiveness towards mass shootings instead of looking at the negative. There's always a way that we can improve ourselves to be better or be more prepared. And I mean, uh, Dwight Eisenhower always said, you cannot simultaneously prepare and prevent war. And that goes towards anything, whether it be a mass, um, a mass shooting or um just just a home invasion you can prep to be the best in that situation or you can be the best at preventing yourself from being put in that situation and but you can't be both 100 percent cannot be both because you're never going to get anywhere trying to be both and i guess for me i always wanted to be the best at being able to defend myself and that's why when i read about these things and and i hear things like the el paso shooter just walking through the front doors of a walmart with it with an ak-47 how I would have reacted in that situation seeing a man carrying an assault rifle into a department store. To me, my first reaction would have been to try and do something about it. Because the events that were going to follow would outweigh whatever damage I would have done to the individual. Because I was, for all I know, maybe it was a toy gun. I didn't know this. That could have been defended in court. But at that point in time, he's walking into a department store with a rifle, an automatic rifle, and he has no reason to be in there with that. I mean, how would you have reacted, or how how do you think you would have reacted in that situation, Josh? Honestly, I have no idea because a lot of it just depends. You know, if if I was in that parking lot and I was behind him, absolutely, um, I would pull the um, my Smith and Wesson that I always carry with me in public. For all of you who are thinking of sneaking up on me, <laughs> <laughs> but absolutely, um, I, I'm a opportunist. I would like to think I'm an opportunist in those situations. Um, I would, uh, I would think that I would stop the situation before it progressed. That's how I was trained, and that's how I was raised. And a great example of this, and there hasn't been much national news coverage of this, which is unfortunate, but of uh, the off-duty firefighter in Missouri that stopped a man at a Walmart carrying a rifle and what they reported to be over a thousand rounds. Which I, I don't know how you loaded a thousand rounds into magazines, but with my experience, that'd be a lot of magazines and a lot of weight. But the point being, an unarmed or an armed citizen. Stop the man from maybe committing another mass shooting within a week. So it does help. And if and to those of you that are scared to educate yourselves on guns, don't be afraid. Because realistically, it could save your life one day or it could save your kids. And again, I'm not trying to be insensitive towards those that, that, that are affected by these shootings. But having that education might have helped in that situation. But not even that, Josh. Let's talk about general first aid in situations like this. Like uh, when Von Mar got... And got shot up uh, back in, what was that, 2000, 2007, 2007 in Omaha. Uh, I actually got the opportunity to speak with uh, one of the guys that was on the SWAT team that responded to that event. And he'll never forget how scared everybody was. And there was a lady that got shot in the leg. And 
nobody rendered first aid to her and she bled out on the Von Mar floor because nobody rendered first aid to her. And it's simple things like that. Like, I understand people get panic and, and, you know, they have that flight or that fight or flight instinct. But at the end of the day, like, once all that's gone, you have to know how to treat. Yeah, you, you don't have to be a surgeon. You don't have to be a, a battle, you know, um, uh, combat medic. You don't have to be a paramedic. But at least have some general knowledge of how to stop bleeding. Educate yourselves on how to use a tourniquet. I carry a tourniquet in my car. Because you never know when you're going to need one. Whether it be a car accident. Whether it be a situation like this. They're, they're a great thing to have. And they're really easy to use. If you don't know how to use one, educate yourself. There's a million YouTube tutorials on how to use them. And just carrying one with you could save somebody's life. Whether it be your own or somebody else's. And what do you think about people being more educated? How do you think education could benefit us in the future when it comes to mass shootings honestly man it really impresses me how many people don't know basic cpr or first aid and like you said you back in 2007 that uh that horrible event that happened at uh, west roads mall um in omaha that uh, a lot of those people bled out and died and that's the worst i would think that's the worst way how to die from one of those that would be worse than taking a bullet to the head mm-hmm. I definitely think that um, there should be more education on how to um, give CPR or just basic first aid, but it's just, it's just I guess, amazes me that all this information is at our fingertips. There's, like you, like you said, you can look these videos up on YouTube and people don't utilize it, and a lot of people are just oblivious and they don't care, and these are the people that I see throwing their hat in the ring and they are trying to talk to us about gun policy when they don't even know how to render uh, first aid to a victim or give them CPR. And it's like, how can you tell me anything? And and you don't have to be an expert in first aid. Just general first aid. How do you stop bleeding? How do you, I mean, I, I was a Boy Scout and learning tourniquets, handmade tourniquets, you could do with a purse strap. I mean, you're, you're in Walmart for God's sakes. You know, there's a million things you could have used. Use your belt, use your shoelace, whatever you can. But at least give that person a fighting chance. And it comes, it just it just shows that so many people would rather just run instead of try and be that guy. Now, remember when Jared Loftner shot up, uh, it was a Gabrielle Gifford shooting. I don't remember what year it was, but it was in Tucson, Arizona at a Safeway. It was, it's kind of funny because I worked for Safeway at that time. I didn't work in that store, but I worked for Safeway. And there was a big story put out about that. And unfortunately, we did lose we did lose some people in that shooting. But we ended up in a situation where those people that got shot ran into the store. And the people, obviously mass chaos, know, you know, everything kind of stops. You're kind of trying to figure out what's going on, trying to get people in the cover, things like that. And the store clerks and customers actually started rendering aid to some of these, these victims that had been hit by... Uh, bullets or you know been trampled on or, or run down or you know whatever you you know whatever happened but i remember because they had to shut that store down for four weeks just to get it cleaned up from that incident so it does happen and i feel like i think that as 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 a, as a country and as as just you united states citizens we need to protect what's ours and we need to take care of what's ours and that includes every individual that's in this country whether it be whether black mexican or black hispanic white uh you know whatever whatever race you wanted to be we're all here together and we need to take care of each other together so i'm i guess i guess where where do we go from here i mean i mean what's next nobody really knows but i'll tell you what's not next very aggressive legislation to control the sale of guns I definitely do not think that is the answer, in my honest opinion. Um, I honestly believe that more concealed carry classes, I, I wish people would voluntarily take these classes. Um, I wish they were more available. I wish um, I, I wish more of my law-abiding citizens, fellow law-abiding citizens, would arm themselves because... Um, I don't know about you, man, but if you and me were at an event together, whether we went together or we just ran into each other and somebody started shooting and each of us had our arms, I, I, I would feel twice as better knowing that you were there with a firearm, just like me, you know, ready to uh, stop that perpetrator, if, uh, we, if we could. 100%. And I know guys uh, 
military guys that that carry everywhere they go, and that's the reason. Um, one of my buddies who's currently overseas right now, uh, he like he like he always says, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. <clears throat> and surprisingly, this is what surprised me the most about Texas is that's a very big gun state. Um, how are there not like you would think that at some point there w- there would have been somebody there that was either open carrying or carrying concealed at some point. And actually, there was a gentleman who was concealed carrying. He was a former military, or and I, he might have been current. They say he was in his uniform, and he actually saved a lot of kids' lives during that. Um, you know, he didn't pull out his gun and shoot the shooter, as you know, because the shooter was arrested. But he was able to be that security while they got to a safer space during that shooting. And uh, I forget, I forget his name. But um, he he was a black guy, I believe, current military, and yeah, be, um, because he had the the gun, I'm sure that gave him more confidence while he was able to help these people to a more secure area. Absolutely, and it just comes down to having the knowledge and knowing how to how to react in a situation like that, and. That's the one benefit of military personnel is they're trained how to, res- or how to respond in that situation, and that makes a, that that makes a huge a huge difference. My, you know, I, I heard a really smart uh, quote from my buddy, and like you said, he goes, "When seconds matter, police are minutes away." And I'm not saying to go out there and be a vigilante and try and be a police officer because none of us are. If you're not a police, obviously, if you're not a police officer, but. Don't try and play the vigilante card. Do what you can to the best of your capabilities in a situation that you can't control. And in this situation, it, we, we couldn't. nobody could control it except for the person pulling the trigger. But there's things that we could have done during the event and shortly after the event that could have swayed things to, to go a little better and maybe not have lost so many lives. Uh, I guess at the, at the end of the day... The biggest thing is it goes back to education, man. It really just goes back to knowing how to take care of yourself in a situation like that. Like I know for like, like my biggest, my biggest fear was uh, being in a situation like that and, or my fiance being in a situation like that and not knowing how to, she didn't grow up around guns. She didn't fire a gun until she, till she, me and her started dating. And the one thing that I wanted her to learn the most was not only how to shoot a gun, but how to unload a gun, how to separate the ammo from the weapon so in the event of an active shooter, or what police are now calling active murderers, but in the event of that, to know that if he gets knocked down and drops a weapon, you can unload the weapon so he can't just pick it up and continue his rampage. I feel like that education alone right there is huge. How do you feel about, like, do you think that if we offered, not we, but as a, as a country, if, if law enforcement agencies offered a class... Not even just an active shooter class, but maybe you know just a simple firearms class that it would that it would help people understand why why carrying a weapon with you is so important. Do you think that that would be a a benefit or not benefit us at all? I certainly hope it would be a benefit um, because obviously that is my belief that if more law-abiding citizens carried, I think we would live in a much more polite society but um, honestly I just think that there's so many people out there that don't care and don't want to get involved that even if these classes were offered for free I just I don't think there's gonna be a bunch of mass participation that's my honest opinion about it so so the man you were thinking about is a uh, private first class Glendon Oakley that was the military the army private that uh, actually saved people during that El Paso shooting. Took me a minute to find it, but and he is a current uh, member of the military, right? Yes, uh, stationed in Fort Hood, if I remember correctly. Um, Fort Hood wasn't there a shooting there at one time? There was there there was a shooting there by a military individual at one point. Um, and just so um, people are uh, aware, um, military base or an, an army base, uh, you cannot have a weapon unless you are military police, correct? Uh, it depends. Uh, there's certain stipulations that roll with that. Uh, depending, it's, well, one, it, it's all depend on commander's guidance. So you have, uh, like, 
it, it's a commander that that's in charge of the base and, and, and the rules that follow with that base and the certain policies that are up, upheld on that on that particular military post. But um, the biggest, uh, if you're if you're on duty, you can you can carry a weapon, but you're not supposed to technically have a loaded weapon anywhere on base anytime. See that, that to me is just uh, I, I guess there's a reason for it, but to me. I guess since I'd never been in the military, I, I would just think like a military base would be somewhere where you just would not want to go shoot up unless you wanted to die. Well, what made it convenient for him was he was stationed there. Mm-hmm. He was in the military. He was a he was, he was an army. I forget his rank, but he was in the army, stationed at Fort Hood, Texas, and he just lost it one day and started shooting people up. Th- that's another thing, you know, because what is in your opinion, what's some of the contributing factors to why somebody would go out and commit these mass shootings? Because we've seen it from people from all sorts of walks of life. Now, the media is focusing on how it's mostly white males, and unfortunately, it has been a lot of white males. But we've seen mass shooters of all colors, and we've seen them from different ethnicities. So, I guess my question to you is... Um, what are some of the major con- contributing factors, in your opinion, to why somebody would go out and uh, do this? Because I don't think video games is a good answer. Well, first of all, if you're going to blame video games, you need to blame Hollywood too, because um, they kind of go in hand. They kind of go hand in hand. But I, I feel like like media in, in general does not convince people to go out and kill as many people as they can. Um, and we talked, we discussed this earlier today, but. Um, idolizing past uh, mass shooters um, are probably some of the contributing factors. Uh, definitely, a lot of people want to say bullying. I don't feel like bullying is. I want. I mean, I was bullied in school. I was bullied for three years, and not once did I ever consider going to school and killing the people that bullied me. And maybe that was just my parents telling me that you know what, they're just jealous of you, and they know you're going to be better than they are, or whatever the case is. And at the, I guess that to me, bullying is, is, is just a scapegoat. It, it all has to do with realistically how they're raised and what they're taught to believe in and how they're taught to react to certain things. We'll go to, uh, Jacksonville a couple years ago, uh, Madden tournament, uh, kid got mad, came, kid lost and came back. He was pissed off and shot a bunch of people. Uh, that's just, uh, the the way that you had worded it earlier today was people need to be taught how to learn or how to win and how to lose. And that, that, that stuck with me for a while. I mean, it's, it still sticks with me, but you're right. Because like you said, you know, maybe the guy won and he was talking bad crap to this other guy and the other guy just got mad. And that's all about remembering to be humble. Be glad when you win, but also understand that you have to lose to be to get better. And I, I feel like, like honestly, one of the biggest contributing factors, and I don't care who gets offended by what I'm about to say, is bad parenting. I agree, and I think it's very important for people to understand that most mass shooters, this is proven, come from a single mother household. They did not have a father in their household. What did they say? It was like 26 out of 27? Of the recent mass shootings, mm-hmm. yes. 26 out of 27 of them are... Father came from fatherless homes, so I think that is definitely an important thing to highlight. And that's uh, yeah. And I don't want to. I don't want to tell people that they're bad parents. I don't. You know, I don't want to give that stigma. But at the end of the day, I feel like that's probably going to be your biggest contributing factor, because I'm. I couldn't imagine growing up in a house without a father. My father is not my birth father, but he's my father because he was around since I was really little, and. It doesn't take much to be that guy, to be that father. Yeah, it, I don't. There's a stigma with today's society about about quote unquote baby mamas and baby daddies, and I hate those two terms. And we can address that in another episode. But fatherless fatherless families are huge. I mean, it's 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 such a big. I I give I give props to a lot of single moms because they do a lot, but there's certain things that a mom can't do that a father can and certain certain things that a mom can't handle the same way that a father can so i i, I agree i that's why honestly that's why my my personal opinion is that it's just bad parenting in in, in general you know i definitely agree that uh, a lot of it definitely starts in the home 
But I think you would also agree that there's also something going on outside of the home, outside of parents' controls, that uh, there's just something something wrong with our society that is beating people down. And I'm not sure exactly what it is, but uh, there is something that's just out of the, the parents' control. Uh, another thing, you know, you brought up earlier, bullying. Um, bullying is a very odd term because they always make it sound like it's always just some overweight kid. Every bully video I've ever seen, you know, where they're doing a, a demo of what bullying is, it's always an overweight white kid picking on some small scrawny kid. And eventually the small scrawny kid either gets support from his peers or he uh, bucks up and and uh, stands up to this bully. And, and, you know, everybody lives happily ever after. But bullying comes in so many different forms and it's just it's just funny to me because they go on these big bully campaigns on you know how you shouldn't pick a, a pick on kids and you should stand up for people who are being picked on but if you're going to try and stop bullying you have to stop where do you stop with that you have to stop every satire site you'd have to stop tmz tmz is nothing but gossiping and bullying of celebrities and making fun of people so i'm, I mean, I'm going to interrupt you real quick just just to roll on that note do you think that media has some influence on excuses for why these things happen? Absolutely. Uh, the media always has some excuse for why it happens. In the past, they've blamed mental illness, and in, uh, today, they're blaming white supremacy, as you've seen. And it's just incredibly sad, because one thing that I've noticed doing research on school shootings and shootings in general, it seems like these school shootings and these mass shootings really multiplied big time after um, the TV, after basically news was being reported on the TV. Because the worst school shooting that happened from the very start was the uh, Austin, uh, Texas Tower shooting that happened at the University of Texas back in 1966 by Charles Whitman. And he killed 18 people and injured over 30 more. That same year, another guy in uh, Arizona also shot up a school and killed five people and when he was talking to police or they might have found a, a note from him he had mentioned Charles Whitman so that tells me that he had heard about this from the news and wanted to be a copycat well that kinda goes like look at look at the copycat the amount of copycat uh, serial killers that, that that have been reported that are trying to copy people like Jack the Ripper like it happens. People get this, they, they, they see this person, they're like, man, they're like, I could do that, but I could be better. And it, and at the end, it, some of it also stands up to a lot of, maybe people are just trying to one-up the other guy, you know? Like, that's kind of what I was figuring when, when we saw the report of two mass shootings in less than 24 <laughs> hours. My first thought was, what, is somebody trying to compete with the other? Like, that's, like, why is that something people are competing for? Like, why... Why is that even a thought? And I know I know it's a thought, and I, I know people think it sometimes, and, and a lot of times they like to think it and not say it, but we all know that somebody might be trying to one-up the other guy, and that's not the way that it should be. And, and again, you know, what you and me are talking about here today is just a theory. That There's no proof, but it just it really looks that way, that the news and the media and social media have really fueled the fire on people wanting to go out and uh, one-up the last mass shooting because of the notoriety involved. I mean, look at the Vegas shooter. They talked about his life for a week. They dissected his life, who he was involved in, who his father was, who his wife was, his home. I mean, everything about this guy was told, where he hung out in Vegas. I mean, just everything about this guy was told, and it's like some kid who's never had any attention I mean, why they don't feel like their life's worth living, why wouldn't they want some notoriety? And it would be a chance to lash out at society and take out some of their anger on people. You're, you're not wrong. But again, this is just a theory. But then when we talk about, let's, let's think about this a little bit, in, a little bit more into the weeds here. But what good is the notoriety if they're dead? Like, they can't bask in it, even if they're sitting on, see, even if they're sitting on death row, it's not like they can be like, yeah... That was me. And, I mean, you would think that at some point, if, they, if there's somebody who never had attention or never 
got the, the hottest prom date or whatever, you know, whatever the reason for, uh, where, where would, where would that put them if they're sitting six feet below the, the, the surface of the earth, you know, like you would think that at some point that's where they would want to somehow be captured alive. So at least they can bask in that glory, glory. And, you know, that's why I, I say, I stress the importance. These are theories because that point right there, if they're not alive to enjoy their, uh, their notoriety, then what good is it? So there's obviously more at play than just notoriety. I mean, there's obviously a lot more anger and hatred involved that we don't really know what the root of, and everybody's kind of scrambling right now to figure that out. But I will say this, um, the guy that shot up, uh, Stoneman Douglas High School mm-hmm. in Parkland last year. Um, Nicholas Cruz was his name. I believe so. Um, he uh, he actually lived, and he was arrested by the police, and he's sitting in prison. They say that he has gotten hundreds of letters from uh, young girls basically idolizing him and talking about how handsome he is and, you know, how if they had the chance they would fix him. And so... I believe he does get to sit in his cell and read these letters and feel warm and fuzzy inside. That's another com- complex that we can't even talk about. Females wanting to fix bad boys. Ugh. A lot of people don't know this, but a lot of the uh, famous serial killers, Ted Bundy, um, uh, a lot of these mass shooters who have lived, they do have a following of women who uh, do idolize them and will send them letters telling them that they love them. And... Uh, you know, uh, but this is something that's never really discussed. It's never really talked about by the media or really by anybody unless they're directly investigating these uh, particular individuals. Well, that's like, let's go back to Obama's term, the Aurora shooting in Colorado. When when the FBI went to investigate his house and search his house, they found his house was completely booby-trapped from the inside. So that goes to show that not everybody, and I believe if I'm correct, he's actually sitting in prison right now. Yeah. Um, that it goes to show that maybe it's not just violent video games. This guy obviously was was paranoid or had something else going on in his life that made him want to be afraid of people or maybe just want to eliminate people. So where where does where does that fit into all of this? I, you know. In that particular case, he had shot up a theater that was uh, showing The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Or, or no, it was showing Batman 3, I believe, because this would have been 2012. Yeah, it was Dark Knight Rises. Was it Dark Knight Rises? It was is that Dark... what the third one is? Yeah, The Dark Knight Rises. Okay. Yeah, so he was um, he was shooting up, showing up that, and he was quoting from The Joker, which is from just The Dark Knight, back in 2009 when that was... Uh, it was 2008 or 2009 when that was released. Anyway... In that movie, I think that there's a key to a person like that's personality. Um, it's when um, Bruce Wayne is talking to his uh, butler. I forget his name. Alfred. Alfred. That's his name. And Alfred. And he was trying to figure out what what the Joker wanted. He was like, you know, every criminal wants something. We just got to figure out what this guy wants. And Alfred kindly reminds him that there are some men who just can't be bullied, they can't be bought, they can't be bribed, they just want to watch the world burn. And uh, he didn't even think about that, Bruce Wayne didn't. But a lot of people don't think about that. There are just some people out there that want to see destruction. They want to eliminate people. And they don't really have an agenda, necessarily. They just, they, they're angry, they're hurting, whatever, and they want to destroy. Now, how do we... Do you think that they'll ever find a way to, to kind of, like, figure these people out before they get to that point of actual actually causing destruction? I think people get figured out all the time. It's just that, you know, every now and then there's somebody who slips through the crack. Or how many times have you heard that there was always red flags about these certain individuals before they even went out and committed these crimes? I mean, just about every one of them, somebody comes forward and says, yeah, this, this person got arrested for this, but, you know, they spent the night in jail or... Or, you know, they, they got committed to the hospital and they got released and there was, there's not a whole lot that's being done. Or, or they or they talk, they interview their friend. Their friend's like, yeah, he always talked about something, you know, doing something like this. And and at the end of the day, listen, you know, to, to our listeners, if you have a friend that's talking about that stuff, maybe you need to tell somebody. Because 
talking about it's one thing, but that one, but talking about it can lead into actually doing it. Because if there's no one there to tell them that it's wrong, they're going to think it's okay. And I, I can't say that I've ever had, that I've ever known somebody like that, but you know, at least nothing comes to memory, but I know that, that there's so many red flags out there. And I think that that goes back to the whole education thing about maybe just learning about that kind of stuff. Um, I know the military gets trained on, um, how to like see like people that are trying to get inside information. And so it's kind of the same concept. If people are trying to figure out, you know, the best place where there's going to be the most amount of people to do the most amount of damage and they're asking questions, maybe not in that sense, but you know, maybe paraphrase a little differently, you know, maybe that's something you need to bring forward. You know, whether you, it be you go talk to a police officer about it, don't, don't call the cops on them and tell them, oh, this guy's planning to shoot some people, but just be like, hey, you guys should probably keep an eye on this guy because he's been talking some crazy stuff. And at the end of the day, if he hates you for watching out for him, I mean, he's going to hate you, but I would, but wouldn't you rather know that at the end of the day, you did something about it instead of not doing something about it and hopefully save some lives because maybe he is that that guy that that would take his his words and, and put them into actions. I mean, I, I don't I don't really know how else to word this. You see, and I don't even know how to really go about it because if if I were to go to the police and say, "Hey, you know, Bob is talking about shooting up a place." You know, one of two things is either going to happen. Either the police are just going to maybe take the report and that's about it. Or, you know, that they might take the report and go talk to Bob. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's just not a whole lot that they can do as long as this individual hasn't done anything yet. So No, but it's kind of like putting a bug in your ear about, you know, like what I want for my birthday or what I want for Christmas. You kind of plant that, that seed. And they can start kind of monitoring a little bit of it and seeing exactly how radical his beliefs are, how extreme he is about the things he does. And that and that can give a good indication on how how to go about that from the forward. Once you do your part and report it, it's not up to you to see how it gets finished. And I definitely agree with that. And I think that people report people... Just about every, I would say every day, people are getting reported for stuff like this. And officers have to go and speak to people, um, you know, about what was reported about them. And so I do think a lot of this stuff is prevented before it starts. But the question is, is that this, this still is happening and people just want to know why and Honestly, I can't give them a reason, but I definitely don't think a politician can give them a reason either why this is happening. I don't think a politician can give them a, can give them a fix either. Nope. Um, it, I guess, do you remember the Las Vegas shooter? They were talking about how he had a history of domestic violence. Do you remember reading that in an article somewhere? I do. Do you think that that is a situation that occurs with any of these past, more, more recent, I guess, um active shooters because in going back a little bit except for the one the, the vegas shooting where the where the gentleman happened to be a older most of these guys are pretty young yes and i wonder if it's not just something that was instilled in our generation that makes these people believe such radical beliefs and i just i can't imagine what's going through their head when they're like you know what i'm just gonna go shoot this place up because I mean, I couldn't imagine doing that. I, I don't think, honestly, excuse my French, I don't think I'd have the balls to do it. Oh, and honestly, you you, you got to have enough, you have to have enough hatred in you. People think that they are full of hatred or they think that they're angry or, or whatever. And we all have some angry parts to us, but most of us are not angry enough to actually do something like that. And go and shoot people up. I mean, that, that's a special type of um, angry. And also, you know, I, I'd i say a lot of these mass shooters necess aren't necessarily intelligent, but I bet you some of them are, are probably pretty intelligent. So it's not something I can say is done by pure stupidity. I think a lot of them know that at the end of it, they're probably not going to be alive or that their life's never going to be the same. Most mass shooters don't seem to have a plan to get out of there. They kind of just... It's almost like a suicide 
but I'm going to take as many with me as I can type mentality. So suicide by cop with collateral damage. That's what my theory is on a lot of them, you know. I, I definitely agree that, that I feel like some of them are a lot more intelligent than we think they are. And I feel like that might be a reason or a contributing factor, a minor contributing factor, as to why they do what they do. Because they're like, haha, watch this. It's kind of like a whole, like the whole hold my beer thing. And at that point, it's just, where do we really continue? And uh, so when we talk about like blaming individuals, like every, like everybody always wants to find somebody in the wake of any tragedy. We always want we always want to find somebody to blame. And unfortunately, right now it happens to be the president. But at the end of the day, we can't blame anybody but the gunmen themselves. Like I understand it's a lot easier to blame somebody that might still be living and breathing, but I mean, why why do you think people are so so set on blaming somebody that's that's not even halfway involved in what's going on like 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 what what do you think about that i think it's just part of human nature unfortunately it's one of those ugly parts of human nature that because in most of these cases the gunman is either dead or they're in you know maximum security at this point um most people um want to find somebody to hold responsible they want a scapegoat because they feel that i think in in their in their mind they feel if they can find somebody or something um to destroy or dethrone or change that they um have beat this tragedy that they um have uh basically prevented the next tragedy so kind of like a coping me- mechanism it as well it is definitely nothing but a coping mechanism but as you and me see and many other people see it is a false sense of hope. It is only a temporary fix mm-hmm. for for an emotional response. Well, and who says like yes? Now it's a mash or or it's a shooter. Who's not to say next time it's going to be a machete wielding jungle man who's going to walk into a grocery store and just start chopping people up? Like we don't know. And just because this this one happened to be a gun. Like, what do we do at that point? Who are we gonna blame at that point if it's if it's a if it's a stabbing spree that kills twenty people or somebody somebody plows into a crowd of people killing thirty or forty people? Like, we'll go back to London. What was that? Four years ago? Yeah, roughly. It was about four, about years, four years ago. ago. Uh, ISIS took credit for that, but whatever. But that's that's one of those situations where gun control and and the whole thought of gun control and it it it, it won't work. In, in that aspect of trying to keep mass killing, not we won't say mass shooting, but mass killing from happening. Because it will happen. And unfortunately, as much as I don't want to jinx this, but it will happen again. But next time it might not be a gun that does the killing. Right. It, it might be something much more violent. Yeah. And I can't imagine being plowed into by a vehicle and sitting there as I, as I bleed out or I can't breathe because I have a punctured lung and I basically suffocate to death. Like... It, anything can be turned into a weapon, and we've talked about it, and we discussed this a little earlier and, and, and whatnot, but at the end of the day, there's not much that we can do besides educate ourselves on how to prevent this stuff, and that's that's going to be the biggest key that, that we're going to take away from this, is education is huge, and that goes for anything. Educate, I mean, I mean before, before you drive a car, what do you got to do? You got to learn how to drive. You got to read a book and take a test. Right. You well, know? to legally drive, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm saying is is education, you know? See, and um, I I guess I, I, dis- I disagree with e- education as a whole because education is one thing. I mean, education, whenever I hear the word education, I'm just thinking brainwash. And that's just kind of how I was conditioned. Experience, I think, carries much more waves than education. Um, and... Uh, I think the best education comes through experience because we could sit in a classroom and talk about guns all day and you know tell somebody who's never picked up a gun hey, this is how you unload a gun but if we put a gun in that person's hand with no ammunition obviously but we told them okay this is how you uh, load the magazine this is how you uh, eject the magazine this is how you chamber one I think that person will remember that much more than anything they ever could read online or if they read it from a book no 100 percent. that and experience and that's and that's why when i asked about 
possibly providing these courses to people that want them, uh, how beneficial it would be. And I feel like you said, it's that, it's that experience that's going to, that's going to stick with them longer than just maybe reading a book about it. And you're right. You're hundred percent correct. And, and it just go, it just comes down to wanting to know the way to handle a situation and how to properly handle that situation. But we all know that when we're under pressure and, you know, thank, thank the Lord that I haven't been put in that position or you haven't been put in that position. But, you know, when, when you're under pressure, a lot of people think that, that your, your mind just goes blank, but it doesn't. You, it's, once you've done it, once you trained yourself for, for so long on how to do certain things, those certain things come back into play. I mean, you were corrections for a while and your PP, uh, PPCT, PPT, PPCT, when, when an inmate decides to get rough with you, like you may not have done, you know, you may not have done PPCT for a while, but it comes back to you almost immediately. And it's all part of that training. And I get that people don't have time to do it. Don't have time to do this. Don't have time to do that. But it doesn't have to be all the time. Just a little bit of the time, you know, maybe, maybe 10 minutes on a Saturday, sit down, you know, practice, practice what, what you're trying to accomplish. You know, because you never know when that when that's gonna kick in and actually save you. It 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 kind of goes to like uh, uh, combat medics and paramedics uh, in in situations where people are like injured. You know, they have to remember all this training, and they go through rigorous training to be able to do what they do, and to be in a in a high pressure situation and still remember all that. You'd be surprised how much your memory your your memory actually retains when when you actually get put in a position to use what you know i agree with that wholeheartedly and uh you're going to use what you know basically from what you've practiced from what uh, you have uh, trained in and that that's the other thing that i would like to ask you about is that um it seems like people almost have a mentality today that if if you're not in this specific field then you don't need to be training this you don't need to be worrying about this like they, they say that the police should be the ones that are dealing with these mass shooters because they're trained. And obviously, if a police is in the if police is in the area, then they should be dealing with these mass shooters because they are trained. They have the firearm. They have the legal um, authority to do so. But um, like when it comes to CPR, obviously an EMT is going to be your person to uh, utilize uh, life-saving measures. However, we're talking about those those times that they are they aren't there for another couple minutes and seconds matter like you said earlier but i guess my question to you is is do you feel like people are just incredibly oblivious they're too busy on their phones to want to even practice uh anything you know whether it be a martial art or cpr or uh you know that they're just they'd rather scroll through their phone all day and they all they in the face of tragedy they end up being a sitting duck while they're expecting somebody else to handle it for them. So the takeover of technology is something we can cover in another episode, but 100% as a, <clears throat> as a generation, we, uh, we've, we've gotten really, really, uh, comfortable walking and being on our phones, knowing how to kind of see what's kind of in our periphs, but not really looking around us. And I think, and at least for me, any, anytime I go anywhere, anytime that I'm, out in public i never stop looking around and that's because situational awareness is key for every situation that you're in and i know that sounds really cliche and really cheesy but the thing is if i know who's around me and what they're doing i can predict what's going to happen next 90 percent of the time and so that would have been one of those situations where the el paso shooter he had to walk from his car to the door carrying a weapon how many people do you think were in that parking lot? I don't know about you, man, but our our Walmart here in town, unless it's 2.30 in the morning, is usually pretty freaking busy. And I'm telling you, people saw it, and people did nothing about it. And maybe they didn't see him because they were scrolling through their phone. And it, it takes me back to, to just thinking about, take that five-minute that, that, that five challenge and be off your phone for five minutes. Take a look around you. Observe what's going on. Try and figure out you know, the best way to do something. Whenever I go into a restaurant, I, I always, it's kind of, kind of makes me sound paranoid, but 
Um, I always, I always try to know where the exits are. I always try to know where the, where the quickest place for cover is. And simply for that reason. And it's not because I'm paranoid or I'm scared. It's because I want to be prepared. And that's why, you know, and I always try and sit close to the door. I sit with my back to the wall because you never know when somebody's going to go postal. And so, yeah, do I think that technology plays a part into the prevent, the, the prevention of, of mass killings? Absolutely. Technology is huge because we don't want to put our phones down because, oh, man, we might miss this tweet. We might miss this Instagram post. We might. Oh, man, I didn't watch that dog video on Facebook. Now I got to go find it again. I got to respond to this text so my so my boyfriend doesn't get mad or my girlfriend doesn't get mad. Like we need to get ourselves out of the habit of being on our phones 100 percent of the time. Set the phone down. Observe what's around you. Actually see what's going on and and, and kind of gauge gauge what you're going to do based on that because i mean i've seen some questionable pe- questionable people in public before and you know you know that old phrase trust trust your gut instinct when something doesn't feel right you know it's not you know something you know it's not right and and i don't care who you are everybody has a gut instinct of some kind and some are better than others yes but when you know when you go somewhere and something doesn't feel right i mean I know I got a gut instinct. What about you, Josh? Absolutely. I got a, got a gut instinct about just about everything. Sometimes, uh, most of the time, it turns out to be nothing. But I'd rather be overprepared than underprepared any day for tragedy. And that's, and, and that's why we stress so much about education, and, and not even education, but education slash training. And it's not about being paranoid. It's just about being ready. And... You know, if if we really as a country want to prevent mass shootings from happening or mass killings, we need to start educating ourselves and and training ourselves and preparing ourselves for the worst. And that's unfortunately, as bad as it sounds in today's society, that's kind of a big thing. And I mean, we read about it all the time. We read about it, you know, on the news, on, on social media. We, you know, and we, we, we think about it, man, if I was in this situation, I would have done that. But would you really? Have you really put yourself through like a mock training or a mock situation where you're going to deal with that? You don't know how you're going to respond, you know. And that's why military military individuals, first responders, they they're trained in that in that in that aspect, and it's and, and anybody can do it. It's not limited to those people. You can train yourself on how to react in a high pressure situation. You just got to take the time to do it. But I guess. The biggest thing to take away from everything is just we're not going to stop this from happening. It's going to happen again. We What we can do is prevent it from happening or try try our best to be prepared. Let me rephrase. To be prepared for when it does happen and how we can minimize the amount of damage and, and, and death that comes from it. Because at the end of the day, that's our goal, right? We want to save lives and we want to we keep people from getting hurt. Especially by these people who don't know these people. They go in there and they don't care who they're killing or, wh- or whether or not they have a family with three kids and, and a home in the suburbs. No, they don't care. They're out there to do the most po- the most amount of damage in the shortest amount of time that they can. And we need to prepare ourselves on how to react in a situation that's that's going to put those uh, those elements into play. And that's... And, and that's it. There's no other way to put it. Legislation's not going to do it. Banning assault rifles is not going to do it because there are so many unregistered weapons in the United States. There are more weapons in the United States than there are people. The guns are out there. They're not going to go away. And unfortunately, if you guys want to have another revolutionary war, take their guns away. Because that'll do it. And then at that point, we're no better than the mass shooters that are committing these murders. Because we're shooting our neighbors and our brothers. Got anything to add to this, Josh? I definitely agree um, with everything that you just said. But uh, what it comes down to is is that people need to start taking a more active role in keeping their community safe and not just expect Washington to do it for them. Uh, you, If you want to stop mass shootings or if you want to uh, minimize the damage, you know, train yourself. If you don't, then you're just yelling from the cheap seats, as, as they say. You're just making noise. You're expecting somebody else to take care of your problems for you. Like we said on this show, 
another shooting's going to happen. We don't know when. We don't know where. Um, we're not stoked about it, but it's going to happen. And I hope wherever it happens, those people are ready and they put that shooter down instead of having their own put down. So I just encourage people, if you do want to make a change, if you truly do, prove it. Show it. Train yourself. Train um, those around you who are willing. And uh, keep your community safe. If you don't care, you, then you don't care. There's nothing that anybody else can do about it. And you can just you can try to expect that other people will uh, put men with guns to protect you. But um, that's all, that's all going to be on you. So I encourage people to take a more active role in keeping uh, the area around them safe and secure. Not doing anything about it is like is like not voting for the candidate you don't want is like not voting. So essentially, you're by indirectly voting for the candidate you don't want to get office because you didn't vote, and that's what doing nothing does. You're not necessarily doing. You're not stopping it, but you're not doing anything. But you're not really helping it either. And Josh makes a very solid point. It's up to us to, to protect our own and make sure that we do what we need to do to stay safe. And I hope that all of you guys, as you listen to this podcast, you guys kind of think about those things. And, and maybe, you know, we, we can prevent the next one from happening. Or at least, like we said, prevent the damage from that's going to that's gonna happen from it. But it's all up to us, guys. Washington's not going to do it for us. They want to push stricter gun laws and stricter legislation. That's not going to help us. I guarantee you, it's not going to help us. But if y'all, but if you guys want to want to email us about about your opinions or or any facts that you guys want to throw at us, you guys know the email. It's midwestmindmelt at gmail com. And that's it for this episode. We appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Take care. How do we control money? Highlighters. Every Sunday, we go over all our statements, and we highlight the hotspots. And that's how we came up with intelligent text alerts that help watch over your money. Our customers give us the best ideas. Huntington, welcome. Message and data rates may apply. Buckle up, because Metro is bringing you the best deal in wireless. Switch to Metro and get your choice of two awesome free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens and tons of memory for all your pics and videos. So hurry into Metro and get your awesome free phones only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions.